Welcome to Core 242 Podcast, brought to you by Core Community Covenant Church. Now let's dive into the Word of God with Pastor Max and Pastor Trish. Amen. and Praise God. Praise God that we can come together and be reminded that it was such a good song about, about His promises being true. So we're not just lost and confused. And when He says, when Paul talks about putting on armor of God, it's because this is not a theory that this armor somewhere exists. It's not a myth that you need to find an armor of God somewhere and put it on. There's, there's only one armor for that one person. And when they get when they put the armor of God on, they're gonna have those special abilities. They're gonna be they're gonna have superpowers. No, this this armor of God that Paul describes is something that that is there for each and every believer through the Holy Spirit in Christ Jesus, and that is, that is so important to. To remember that we should not be walking around undefeated. We should not be walking walking around unprotected. That this armor of God is there for us. That, that because of the Holy Spirit, because of what Jesus did, because of the Holy Spirit, it is there for each and every one of us. So when we choose not to wear this, um, we really lose out. And we are become vulnerable to the attacks of, of the evil one. So it's really important. So I'm, I'm really excited about this uh, sermon series. You know, it's been taught many times, and there's books and everything else. But uh, you learn better when you teach it, so it's been such a blessing for me um, to dive into it more and more. So, so today, today we're going to be in uh, this, the second piece of the armor that, uh, that is talked about in Ephesians. Chapter 6, verse 14. Uh, again, verse 14 says, Stand firm then with the belt truth buckled around your waist. We talked about it last week. With the, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. So today we're going to talk about the breastplate of righteousness in place. I, I love that it says in place because it's like, put it where it belongs. <laughs> put it on your chest. Don't put it in your closet. Don't put it on somebody else. Don't put it on your back because it, it needs to be in the front. Put it in place. So again, we talked about it yesterday, uh, last week that we don't want to focus too much about the actual armor part. You know, we don't want to sit here and like, well, in theory, the br- breastplate is, it, it was there. You put it on your chest. It protected your vital organs. The most importantly, it protected the heart. I think, you know, you can get poked anywhere else. You get poked in the heart. You're pretty much done for. So, so that, that was, that was kind of our biggest thing that we want to talk about is that when we talk about breastplate of righteousness and breastplate itself is protecting our heart. Uh, Proverbs 4.23. Are you going to it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Hey, go ahead. Proverbs 4.23 says this. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And so we understand that when you put on the breastplate, it is protecting your most vital organs, that uh, an injury there would, would be fatal. An injury there would, would stunt. And if we're talking about spiritual terms, um, we would grieve the spirit. We would lose heart. Um, and here in Proverbs 4.23, it says, Above all else, guard your heart. So in other words... It's more important that you guard your heart above your face, above your reputation, above what you other people think of you, above even your mind. Um, that 
is, you know, we know that our mind is a battlefield and is often under attack. The enemy attacks us with lies and with half-truths, which are just lies in another form. And it says here in Proverbs, it warns us, but even more important than, than having the right thinking is to have the right heart. Because out of your heart, everything else flows. It says, for it is the wellspring of life, meaning that um, blessings, um, your actions, your decisions, everything flows not from your mind, but from your heart. I think so often, especially in Western culture, we spend a lot of time uh, living in our heads. We're, we think things through. We overthink things. We try to have the right theological checkboxes off. But God really is, is not after your mind. He knows that the human mind is divided. He knows that the human mind is wishy-washy. But he, he's mm. after our heart. He wants us to have a heart that is wholly and completely devoted to him. Right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart first. All your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. So while it's important to love God with your mind, our heart is first and foremost um, the most important thing that we need to guard. And what are we guarding? What, what can happen to our heart? That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to look at um, how the heart is connected to righteousness. And if we're, if we're not um, connected to that breastplate of righteousness, if we're not wearing the breastplate of righteousness, what will happen to our heart? What does that look like in our Christian walk if we are not properly wearing the breastplate of righteousness? Yeah, and Jesus teaches about that when the Pharisees and Sadducees talked about why his disciples are eating without washing his hands. And he's like, it doesn't matter what goes into your mouth. It just com comes in and comes out. It's what's from the heart that comes out. That's what's important. And that whole thing, when we confess or believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, like, that's the important part, the, the other stuff. So it's the heart. It's, it's, it's really, oh, we're going to focus on, on that part of it. And that's why the breastplate is there is to protect the heart. And the only way we can protect that heart is having righteousness. Right. Now, what we're going to find out, first of all, righteousness, so really simple. That word is, and we talked about it when we did Beatitudes, righteousness is just being right with God. That, righteousness that is, means having a right relationship. And that's why it's connected to our hearts, because mm -hmm. the right relationship that we have with God is not in our minds. It's not even in our soul or in our spirit. It's not some existential you know, meditation that we chant some mantra and we attain mm -hmm. perfection. We get a right relationship through submitting to Jesus, our Lord and Savior, with our hearts. And, and through our heart, through faith, do we receive that right relationship. So I think when we think of the word righteousness, we talked about righteousness when we talked about the Beatitudes. We tend to think of, when you think of righteousness, like all these right behaviors, you know, that you have to do all the right things and say all the right things, that you have to be holier than thou. But really righteousness, when you break it down, what the word means to, to be righteous is to be in a right relationship with God. In other words, you're no longer at war. You're no longer, you've submitted to him, not just as your savior, which is what we were talking about earlier, that we, we, we teach very often in church that you just confess Jesus you know, and you accept him as your savior. Well, what about him as your Lord? The right relationship is that we are no longer at war with God, but we have submitted to Christ mm -hmm. as our Lord and we walk in obedience. That is yeah. the right relationship is that we are his servants, that we are in submission and that he becomes the Lord of our life. And we now will obey rather than seek our own will and our own desires. Yeah. And why do we need to do that? Do that. The actual, it was interesting, in Greek, the, the word righteousness, it translates, and some of the, the meanings behind that word righteousness, it talks about judicial verdict, 
and divine approval. So when we're talking about coming before the Lord, before God, on that day of our judgment, our righteousness is going to help us with our verdict and gives us that divine approval. So why do we need that? Well, we look at Romans 3.23. You see it right there. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We, we, when we come before the Lord, what our judgment is separation from God. That's what we deserve. In, in Psalms 36.1, and actually in Romans, uh, Paul quotes it in Romans here. Um, in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, uh, Paul actually quotes a bunch of Psalms. I'm not going to go through all of them. There's Psalm 51, 4, Psalm 14, 1, 53. There, there's a couple, couple of Psalms, but the main thing is in Romans chapter 3. But he says, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. It's Again, it's that relationship. All have turned away. They have, they have together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouth are full of cursing and bitterness. I wonder if this is one of the reasons why Jesus kept on calling the Pharisees viper, brood of vipers because, because of what was said in, uh, in Psalm. That's, that's actually Psalm 5, 9 when he talks about that. Their mouth are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So why do we need this just uh, righteousness, that judicial verdict, our divine approval? Why do we need Jesus to come before us, for, come on the cross and die for us so that way we can fall underneath him? So when we come to the judgment before God, that we can stand there and say, hey, this is your son and we stand underneath him. We're protected because of him. That, are, that is our only righteousness. It's not the things that we do that makes us righteous, except falling underneath Christ as our headship, as our Lord. Um, and that's where it kind of is. There, there's, no, there's no other things. There's no other things that I, I just I feel like we need to emphasize that. There's no other things that's going to give us righteousness but Christ and Christ alone. That's it. So the first thing that we need to understand about why we need a breastplate of righteousness is that God is after our heart, but our heart is corrupt. Our heart is fallen. As, we, as he was reading, no one is good. No one is righteous. No one. And so when we put on the breastplate, it, it's putting on righteousness that is not our own righteousness. It comes from Christ. And to illustrate this, in Isaiah 59, there's a, a prophecy, a messianic prophecy, about how, how God fixed this. Because... Our own, our own hearts were deceived. Our own hearts are fallen. Our own hearts don't seek after God. And so we need to put on a righteousness that is not our own righteousness because there's no one who is righteous. And it says here in Isaiah 59, uh, starting in verse 16 through 17, it says, He saw that there was no one, appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm worked salvation for him. His own righteousness sustained him. And he put on righteousness as his breastplate, the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. Some of these other things we'll get to later. But what we see is, is that in the example of Christ, 
We're being made into the image of Christ. So this is a, a messianic prophecy about what Christ did. Christ himself put on righteousness as a breastplate to protect his heart because his heart was righteous. His heart was holy. His heart was not deceived. His heart was pure. And so he puts on breastplate as his righteousness and we're in his image to copy that, to, to conform to that and put on again, a breastplate of righteousness, not our breastplate. Whose breastplate is it? It's the breastplate of Christ. We're putting on, he provides that breastplate of Mm -hmm. righteousness so it's not our own righteousness because we could never become righteous enough. There is no works we can do. There's no good things we can do. There's no acts of holiness that we could do that would ever be enough to protect our hearts and to make us right with God. Only what Christ did, the work that he did on the cross, can make us righteous and can make us holy. Yeah, Jesus, Jesus I, don't, I can honestly say he's challenging us. Um, in Matthew five twenty. he says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of a Pharisee and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, if the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were the highest standards that where they would count every gram and all this says those, they truly did follow the law, but they thought that was, that was righteousness. But he says you need to surpass that righteousness, surpass and go beyond the counting of every grain and Washing of every of the hands and all those other 613 laws and surpass that and look towards the Savior. Look towards Christ and what he did. That's kind of we need to look at that. That's where the righteousness comes. That's how we enter the kingdom of heaven and come before before God, knowing that we are justified and righteous enough to to be for him. Be for him. And Second Corinthians 521 says this. That God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And we could sit and just with this one verse just unpack it um, and stay here for an entire sermon. Mm. But that's the focus of the sermon is, is that we're talking about the righteousness of God and how the righteousness that we have to put on is not our own self-righteousness, but the righteousness that was provided by Christ. We could never be right enough. We could never be perfect enough. We could never get God's approval. But Christ was perfect. He was sinless. He was completely obedient. Scripture says that he was obedient even to death, death on a cross. And that, because he did that for us, he took on the wrath. It says that he took on the sin of the world. Um, He was innocent and pure and holy. And yet he took the sin that was rightfully ours and he bore it in our place. Um, to atone for our sin and in order that because he took God's wrath we are counted as righteous it's this crazy upheaval of of order it doesn't make sense it should be that the the soul who sins is the one that should die and yet Christ who was perfect and did not deserve death it took that place in our place so that we could then that God would look on us and he doesn't just see us but he sees his son he sees the blood of Christ covering us And we are seen as righteous because of the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross. He willingly gave up his life in our place, willingly took on the wrath and the sin of the world in order that we could be made righteous. Because, again, there was nothing that he saw our helpless state. He saw our wretchedness. Mm -hmm. He saw how fallen and sinful we were, that we were so depraved that we were beyond we were beyond redemption. And yet his arm is never too short. He was able to reach down and and face the the gates of hell on our behalf. 
and pull us into the glorious riches of his grace. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Paul testifies, Paul, Paul's life testifies of what uh, Jesus what taught and what Jesus means uh, to us. When we talk about surpassing, here, here's, here's Paul, who was a Pharisee, who was a Pharisees of Pharisees and teachers of teachers. Like he, he gives his resume at a, at a different place, right? But he says in Philippians 3, 7, uh, 3, 7 through 9, it says, But whatever was to my fro- profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. So all the things that I did, all the titles that I had, everything, again, that resume that he wrote in, I consider a loss for the sake of Christ because Christ is better than everything that I had. Hmm. What is more, I consider everything's a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Not my Savior, he said, it's my Lord who have lost all things. I have taken everything that I had, I have given it up, and it's way better than what I had before. Again, a life of a Pharisee, the, the pride, and all that other stuff that comes with it. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having the righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. That is, that is like the cornerstone kind of, for me, of, of this teaching is, is he kind of, ta- he, he explains how our life should look like. Forget the services that you've done. Forget the ministries. Forget the diplomas. Forget the degrees. Forget the certificates. Forget to the thousand people that you have taught and everything else. Just you, you alone, having that relationship with God as he, as, as, as Jesus as your Lord, putting everything to side, that's what's going to bring righteousness from God to God, that we can come before God. And it's all done by faith. That's the scary part, right? Because we can control the things that we do. The believe in Jesus as our Lord is by faith. Can't fake that. I can fake going to services. I can fake feeding the homeless. But having... And given everything up so I can have faith in Christ Jesus as my Lord so that way I can come before God, knowing that when I come before God that he will see the righteousness that comes from Christ over me. The breastplate of righteousness over me that protects my heart. That, and that's the testimony of Paul, the Pharisee of the Pharisees and the teachers of the teachers and all that other stuff. Amen. Amen. So how do we put on this breastplate? And... Scripture teaches us in Romans chapter 4 um, that even before Christ, we had an example in Abraham. That Abraham, it says in, in Romans chapter 4 verse 3, what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Mm-hmm. And the whole chapter goes on to, to make this argument that it wasn't, the, it wasn't circumcision because we, people look back and say, oh, well, Abraham made a covenant with God and was circumcised and was living under the law. Mm-hmm. But he, he was credited in righteousness apart from the law. And so we can learn from Abraham that, that his, he received the righteousness. He became right with God. He had a right relationship with God, was able to meet with God face to face and mm-hmm. talk with God mm-hmm. and 
commune with God and receive a covenant, receive a promise because of his faith. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And in the same way, we have to believe that we have been made right. It says here in verse seven, blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against him. This is the righteousness that we have to believe. If we believe that what Christ, the work that Christ did on the cross once and for all took our sin away and finished it and that we are saved by grace, that our sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west, then it will be credited to us as righteousness in the same way. That if we believe by faith in the promises of God that the salvation work that was done on the cross was for us, then we too will be credited as righteous. And it's not, it's not because of circumcision or uncircumcision or whether or not you eat pork or how many times a week you fast or how many masses you go to or it's none of those things. It is by faith and by faith alone. So, what, so the next part that we want to get into is really then, so we know what it looks like to put on the breastplate of righteousness. What, how do we know if we are wearing a breastplate that is self-righteous instead of the righteousness mm-hmm. of Christ? That's what we want to get into next. So there's three, three main indicators that we found um, that are kind of a litmus test of, well, you say, I'm, well, I put, on the, I put on the breastplate of righteousness, but is it the righteousness that comes by faith in Christ or is it a righteousness that's your own self-righteousness? And the first, the first um, litmus test of this is in the story of Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Uh, this is the story of the tax collector and the Pharisee. Oh, yeah. And it says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness, looked down on everyone else. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. So he was a good, he was a good tither. <laughs> and he counts that as his own righteousness. And it says, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So the first litmus test of whether or not you're wearing the breastplate of righteousness that comes through faith in Christ, or whether you're wearing one of self-righteousness, just like this Pharisee and the tax collector, if you're confident in your own righteousness and you come before God and you have this list, you're looking down on other people and it's like, well, I'm not like those Christians over there who are living, you know, in all kinds of sin and, you know, we're looking down. But if you come to the Lord in humility, so the first test is whether or not you have pride. If your heart, remember, because the breastplate of righteousness guards your heart. So if you're not wearing the breastplate of righteousness, your heart will become filled with pride. That's the first sign that you, you've deviated from wearing the proper breastplate. Because when pride is in your heart, you're far from God. Yeah, you realize you don't need God. That's one of the things that, that over and over in, uh, in Psalms they talk about. These people, they fear, they fear God, they forget about God, they don't need God. That's how they thought. So or they pride. praise him with their lips, but their hearts are far, far from, from him. him. Amen. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. So the second, the second test uh, comes from... There we uh, bitterness and envy. 
So with bitterness and envy, we're going to look at the story of the lost lost son. We're not going to go into it, how, how it happened. He rejected his father, takes his money, spends his money, comes back. That we praise God, and we're not, but we're not going to focus on that part. What I want to focus is the later part, the older brother, verse twenty-eight. So it's Luke fifteen, verse twenty-eight. So the older brother became angry and he refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, "Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you, you never gave me even the youngest goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the the son of yours." Who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home. You kill the fattened calf for him. And uh, my son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But what we have to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So the, this it shows this anger and envy. He's talking about, look what you've done for him. And he doesn't deserve it and everything else. And when we don't have this, this uh, breastplate of righteousness and when we don't have the, the protection of the Holy Spirit and everything else, we start looking at other things. We start looking at other people. And the, instead of, instead of uh, what the, our first example did of like we're looking down on them, now we're, we're kind of envious looking up to them. I was like, well, why can't I have this? And wh- why are they being blessed? And uh, for some reason, again, God is not enough. Your relationship with God is not enough anymore, even though Jesus died on the cross for you and his father rose from the dead. And we're like, yeah, but I want to speak in tongues like everybody else in the church. Oh, I want to have a car like everybody else. I want to be able to speak at the pulpit like everybody else. And he's like, isn't it not enough that I died on the cross for you? Isn't it not enough that you will come before me and we will have eternal life with me? His and we just become envious. We just keep looking at all those other things and we take our eyes off God and what God has given us through his son's death on the cross. So that's the, the second part is this bitterness and envy that we don't celebrate this gift of the, of the father, but seek other things. Right. So the first thing, if we're not wearing the breastplate of righteousness, we'll see that pride creeps into our heart. The second thing if we're not wearing the breastplate of righteousness, we'll find that our hearts are filled with envy or bitterness towards other Christians. The third thing that happens uh, if we're not wearing the breastplate of righteousness is that we become filled with greed and unforgiveness. Mm-hmm. So we look at the story of the, the unmerciful servant. Uh, again, we're not going to read the whole story, but it, Peter comes to Jesus and says, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother when he f- sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. So he talks about the, these two servants. And the first servant owed the king some money. And the king forgives the servant. But then the servant goes out and another servant owed him way less, far less. And he holds that servant. He has him thrown in prison um, until his debt is paid. And when the king finds out that the first servant was unmerciful... He brings that servant in and he calls him wicked and he throws him in prison until he's able to pay his enormous debt. And Jesus gives this as an illustration of what happens in our heart. And he says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. So the third thing that happens is when we have our own righteousness, that's what happened with the servant, is he had a right relationship with the king. The king had forgiven him his debt. 
but he didn't go out and have righteousness towards his brothers and sisters in Christ. So he, he reaps the consequence of the fact that he has greed and unforgiveness in his heart. So if we're wearing the breastplate of righteousness, we not only have a right relationship with God, but we then go forth and we have a right relationship with others. So we have to be careful not to have our own righteousness uh, where we're, we're okay. It's just between me and God. My relationship is just me and God. And me and God are good, so it has nothing to do with you. Well, are you forgiving your your brothers and sisters in Christ, are you full of grace and mercy towards other Christians? Or do you harbor resentment and bitterness towards them? Mm-hmm. Um, are you greedy about your wealth? Um, you know, how do you handle your money? Um, these are things that are indicators of, again, remember the scripture that we started with was, above all else, guard your heart. The breastplate of righteousness guards your heart. And it's guarding your heart from pride, from bitterness, from envy, from greed. Um, these are all the things that, that creep in um, that lead us to take us away from the righteousness where God says, my grace is sufficient for you. And we should be standing by his grace and his grace alone. Yeah. And one of the other, the last things that the kind of the point of point of this all is, is when we have the breastplate of righteousness and we're living that life of righteousness, um, there's a testimony to others of what this is. Uh, in first Peter two twelve, it says, live such good lives among the pagans so unbelievers that though they accuse you of doing wrong they may see your good deeds and glorify god on the day he visits us so it's one of those things live your life such righteous way that you you have the stand with god that they might accuse you they might they won't have time to they won't be able to accuse you because they're like oh man he loves god well have you heard no that's not him I know this person, and and when they know that the reason you do these things is because of the relationship with God, because of the that righteousness is not self righteous, but God's righteousness, then God gets all the glory. So that, that that's the other benefit of it all. We testify how good God is to others, and it affects them because they want to cut your um, your personality or your character, and they just can't. You know, too many times people attack the church and they're like, well, hypocrites and this and that. But if we are righteous, we're living a righteous lives. They can't. You know, like, well, all these all these people are hypocrites. Really? Who? If, if there is no way for you to point. Well, you know, you know, those. No, when we live a righteous life, they cannot. They cannot point to a Christian and be like, see, they're doing. It. No, they're not. They're really not. And the, this, this righteous life, life the, cool, the greatest thing about it, and we need to switch this mindset, is that we live a righteous life, not that God will love us. We live this righteous life. Be, we, say, I'm sorry. Because he loves us. He loved us first. So we, our righteous acts cannot earn us righteousness before God. They're like filthy rags, which we read from Philippians, right? So there's no good that we can do. There's no actions we can do. We can't earn a righteousness on our own. Um, apart from God, we, we have nothing. But because of the righteousness of Christ that's been given to us, we can then go and live a righteous life in response. And it's night and day different. So we're, we're living holy, not in order to gain God's favor, but we're living holy because we we're have favored. God's favor. Mm-hmm. And that changes everything. That changes everything. 
So it's, it's the difference between walking around with a breastplate of your own self-righteousness versus wearing the breastplate of righteousness that comes through faith in Christ alone. Yeah, it's, thank you. I should have looked down. We do good works not because we try to become righteous, but because he made us righteous. Right. So, so our good works are the response to the fact that we're already made righteous rather than trying to earn righteousness. Yeah, the fruit, if we stick to the, he is divine, we are the branches, and fruit comes out of the branches. If we get that flow correctly, that's how it's going to happen. The only reason there's fruit, because we're connected to the vine. There's no way that we can build, if we, <laughs> there's no, it's impossible to have fruit. It's like, oh, look, I have fruit. Now I can be connected to the vine. No, it's, it's always going to be dead. If I'm apart from the vine, it's always going to be dead. There's not going to be any fruit. No, nothing that, it's nothing. I, lo- I love that it says nothing. Right. You know, so that, that's an important part. It's because of our, man, thank you, Jesus. Because we're connected, because we're part of the branches of the vine that we can bear fruit. That's why we do the righteous things because of that, of that, of that flow through him, because of the Holy Spirit that's being flown through her, because we have that relationship with him, because we're close to him. That's why it is, not the other way around. And I think there's this beautiful imagery that when you put on the breastplate of righteousness, right? We talked about how our hearts are fallen, our hearts are deceitful, our hearts are full of sin. But when you put on the breastplate of righteousness, you're protected in such a way that your heart can begin to heal. Mm. And God gives us a new heart, right? Mm-hmm. He gives us his heart. And we can become men and women who are, have the, heart of, the heartbeat of God. Uh, mm. We can't do that without having that protective barrier in place. Because the world is coming at us too, too hard and too fast. Um, but, the, you know, Jesus promises that he came to bind up the brokenhearted. Mm-hmm. That, the, that God is a God who heals and, and binds up the wounds of the brokenhearted. And that breastplate of righteousness gives our hearts the time and the space that we need in order to be healed. Yeah. Yeah, we just need to have it open for him. Uh, we started off with, a, with having a communion. And so Jesus talks about that he's going to, it's the, the new covenant, right? And then Jeremiah 31, 31 talks about that the new covenant I uh, give them, I will have new covenant with the new people and I will write my, my law on their hearts. So that's where the righteousness comes. So when we, when we uh, change our hearts, when we let Jesus change, change our hearts, his law is on our hearts. So when we do things, his word is righteous. His word is true. So that's what flows out of our hearts. And we just and we need to protect that. Yeah. Amen. 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 Thank you for spending time with us during this episode. We pray that this teaching blessed you and brought you closer to understanding God. If you'd like to contact us, please email us at corechurch242 at gmail.com. Until next time, know you are loved and covered in prayer.